Dear Alberta Wildlife Stories listeners, recently it has come to my attention that our local range known as the Sherwood Park Archery Club is in need of some help. This club has been the longest running here in Alberta since 1979. The range consists of two 3D loops weaving through their beautiful outdoor trails and an outdoor range with massive targets all the way out to 100 yards. They also now have a great indoor 20-yard range for year-round 24-7 practice. As a member, you get gate access to use the facility anytime you like that fits your schedule. Within recent years, the range has experienced vandalism and theft, resulting in costly repairs to their indoor structure and stolen off-road vehicles used to maintain trails and set up 3D courses. This is where you come in. If you are in the central Alberta area looking for a great space to help take care of, this is it. The range is always looking for volunteers to help with caretaking, and of course they are always looking for new members to enjoy their facilities. All they have to offer comes at an immutable price. To further check out how you can help and to register as a member, go to www.sherwoodparkarchery.com. This episode is sponsored by Grizz Targets and Archery. Hands down the best targets made right here in Alberta. I'm very thankful to have partnered with some amazing guys putting out high quality products. Their targets range in all sizes from the backpacker, which is their most portable target, great for checking your sights to make sure your arrow flies true when you're in the backcountry. This thinner 12 by 12 target can double as a seat or a flat surface when cooking. Say you want to have some fun testing your skills at long distances? The Kodiak, on the other side of the spectrum, boasts a massive 48 inch by 48 inch surface to assure you that you won't be digging in the grass for arrows when you're shooting past 100 yards. They have targets for both field points and broadheads, with interchangeable cells to keep you from breaking the bank when the bullseye gets blown out. You want a target that's as tough as you? Get Grizzly Tough with Grizz Targets and Archery. Be sure to check them out at grizztargetsarchery.ca. This episode is sponsored by Slayer Calls. Bill Ayer, CEO and founder of Slayer, puts immense worksmanship and quality control into every one of his calls. Not one of his products makes it into your hands without first meeting his high standards. Slayer currently makes calls for waterfowl, elk, and turkey. Their double reed duck calls boast superior craftsmanship and award-winning performance with wildly loud sound. They have a full range of elk reeds, custom bugle tubes, and in my opinion, the best push-button elk call on the market known as the Enchantress. This push-button call allows you to get a variety of noises from great cow sounds to estrus buzzes and big location bugles when paired with the swagger tube. Slayer makes many other products from goose calls and turkey reeds to lanyards, bags, and gear. They even have an online course to get you calling like a pro. Check out Slayer Calls at slayercalls.com and call the wild. This episode is sponsored by CND Archery. CND is Alberta owned and operated, offering two pro shops in Roslyn and Maleg. Owners Corey and Doug have more than 25 years of combined knowledge and experience to get you set up properly and to maintain your gear for years to come. CND Archery is Canada's only distributor of expedition bows. They carry tons of great gear that you won't find anywhere else. Corey and Doug support local by carrying many Alberta made products from arrows to accessories. Get in touch with the guys on Facebook or Instagram today at CND Archery and set up your visit. This episode of Alberta Wildlife Stories is sponsored by Precision Edge Taxidermy. Owner and operator Hunter Friesen from Stetler, Alberta puts outstanding craftsmanship into every mount to turn your most memorable stories into conversation pieces for your home. Precision Edge does everything from Euro mounts to anything big game along with waterfowl, small game and everything in between. Next time you connect with a trophy, connect with Hunter at Precision Edge Taxidermy. Find his stunning array of work on display on Instagram and Facebook at Precision Edge Taxidermy and contact him today.
Welcome to Alberta Wildlife Stories. Joining me today is returning guest Alex Cummins. For those that remember, he first joined me in episode number two of the podcast. Alex is an Albertan guide and owner of Antler Hill Outfitters. He does a ton of work for the outdoor community and always leads by example. A lot has happened since we last spoke and I'm stoked to hear about the lifelong memories made this season. Without further ado, Alex, how are you doing today, man? Hey, I'm doing good. Thanks for for having me back. Oh, for sure, man. That's, uh, yeah, since we last spoke, like I said, tons has kind of gone on and uh, it's only been maybe about six months or so. Yeah, it was uh, a a busy fall for us. (laughs) No doubt. Um, Definitely want to get into a lot of that. But uh, yeah, before we get into everything, I had to ask you. How was uh, throwing what sounded like the coolest birthday party yesterday? <laughs> uh, it was pretty awesome. Um, yeah, my oldest daughter, she's got a really good group of friends too. So talked to a, a few of their parents and she wanted to do some skeet shooting. So uh, there's four or five 13, 14-year-old girls yesterday. And <laughs> it, was, it was a little bit chilly. That wind had a bit of a bite to it in the end there. But um yeah, shot off a few boxes of shells, and the girls had a great time, so it was pretty neat. That's really cool, man. That's uh, something that I don't think a lot of kids get the opportunity to do and to provide that for, you know, not only your kids, but for her friends and stuff like that, too, is super, super cool. I think it's unforgettable, you know, for everybody. Yeah, they all really enjoyed it. They definitely asked if they could come do it again when it was a little bit warmer outside so they had a <laughs> freezing but <laughs> that's too funny yeah I definitely I think that was probably around the same age that I shot a um yeah it was a break action double barrel shotgun I think it was the first gun I ever shot and unforgettable you know what I mean it's just like yeah it's something that I think though that'll be a lifelong memory for everyone that's super cool and then I gotta say it was too funny when you shared that little story of your son with his uh, <laughs> Cabela's popper or whatever, the little rifle oh, popper. Oh, man. That's too funny. He, he's only two and a half, and he has such a huge understanding about what hunting is all about. So, I mean, he sat in the truck for probably half an hour watching us shoot with, with the girls, and then he just started, Dad, my turn, my turn. So I got him out of the truck, and he literally just, like, walked right up to the shooting line with his gun there and was like, I'm ready, throw me a bird. <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. It's crazy, yeah. man, for two and a half, like you're saying, how much he can understand. Well, and like, yeah, this fall we took him out into the blind and there's not a lot of two-year-old kids that would last even two hours out there, but I mean... We had to walk into the field and carry everything in a long ways and took him out there. And I don't know, it was probably six hours altogether that we were out in the field. And after the second flock of birds came in and we shot, he he had her all figured out. Soon as he heard us shoot, he was just clawing to get out of the blind to go gather up birds that we had on the ground. <laughs> Man, that's too cool. I definitely like in some of those pictures just are exactly that story, right? Like you could see him running through the field with a bird and stuff. Some of the pictures you've shared from that is just priceless. Like, oh man, trying to drag honkers that are bigger than he is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's so funny. Man, that's too cool. And I think, you know, he probably sees that, you know, this is everything dad's doing, leads by example, wants to be, you know, 
wants to be like that, right? So that's just so cool to to see that kind of rub off on him, you know? Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how much he grows up with it because uh, it's kind of my entire life, right? He's around it every day and his mm-hmm. sisters are super into it. So he kind of watches everybody just be into hunting pretty hardcore. So yeah. it's pretty interesting to see if he, I would imagine he's probably going to grow up to be a guide and an outfitter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you could only hope when he's got that kind of, I mean, understanding of it already at such a young age. And, you know, I'm sure he, as he sees exactly like you say, your other kids and yourself, he's just going to be, you know, itching for his turn. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. Not too many kids being raised in this day and age that just want to be, you know, out in the outdoors doing that kind of stuff all the time. Like, he he has no clue what a video game is, but he has a very good understanding of how hunting works in the outdoors. So, Yeah, man, that's so cool to see. Um, I took my son out for the first time this year, and he was about two and a half when I took him out. And like you say, I think we got maybe about an hour and a half less activity and stuff like that because this was right. like white tail season but <clears throat> yeah a good it's... bird hunt's a good way to break them into hunting too because <laughs> when when there's non-stop action and the birds are just falling and everybody's running everywhere trying to gather up birds and get them back before the next flock comes in and it's yeah. pretty exciting for for the kids to come on one like that too oh no doubt the excitement's there the uh the chaos and activity and everything to draw them in is all right there. So, <laughs> yeah, and you're not quite as nerved up about blowing a 160 buck or something <laughs> out of the water when you're just smashing birds, too. <laughs> That's funny, man. So, uh, yeah, man, going into some of the stuff, like we last talked, I think it was you know, like springtime coming into the summer. Um, yeah, like how was your summer? What did you do to, uh, kind of start preparing for the season. I know, like you say, it's it's a full-time thing for you throughout the year. And when we last spoke, you were talking about all the stuff you kind of do throughout each month and everything. And I mean, summertime's a busy time with family, but yeah, how did that all go? Um, I'm not sure if we had talked before bear camp or if it was after bear camp. It was just after bear camp, I believe. Okay. Yeah. So we had just probably got chased out of there by the fires. Yes. Yeah. We talked a lot about the fires. Yeah. Right. Okay, so yeah, after that, we uh, well, I was supposed to go up to the Northwest Territories um, again with Elmer Lake Lodge. Um, so <laughs> we got we ended up getting chased out of there by the fires again too. But wow, um, Sawyer, my oldest daughter, was going to come with me this year, so we flew from flew from Calgary up to Yellowknife, landed there at about eleven in the morning. And then did a bunch of sightseeing and stuff around town with her. So that was kind of cool. Um, visited the mu- museums and kind of the harbor and the float base. And then the wind switched and the fire started heading for town. And the float planes got the call that they were going to have their insurance pulled if they decided to stay, that they had to get out of town. So <laughs> all the float wow. planes left. And by supper time that night... Um, they were talking about evacuating the entire city. Uh, so we didn't even make it to the lodge the next morning. We left super early in the morning. Thankfully, Kevin had his truck at the Yellowknife airport there. He was 
he was stuck at the lodge for the entire summer because he had no way to get out and couldn't get Ooh, clients wow. in. And so when we hopped in his truck bright and early the next morning and drove home. Wow. That's wild. That I was, think oh, it was crazy. Like two of our main guiding seasons of the year were totally ruined by the fires. Um, we had another, well, actually Keith, he does, he does quite a bit of work with me and joins me on a bunch of hunts. He was up there at the same time as us. So he drove home with us. And I mean, that night when we, when we heard that they were going to evacuate, we went to go try and buy like some jerry cans of fuel and stuff. Absolutely everywhere in town was sold out of jerry cans. People had just went mad buying stuff. Somebody had came in and bought like 40 jerry cans right a couple hours ahead of us, which I don't understand why the store would have sold 40 jerry cans to one person anyway. But I mean, mm -hmm. we ended up buying five gallon pails with lids and like drove up to the fuel station and pumped straight out of the fuel pump into five gallon buckets with lids on them and threw them in the back of the truck because we had no clue how we were like what was going to be open or where we could make it to on the way home or anything mm -hmm. um, as it turned out they had a few roadside fuel stations set up they just had like bulk trucks that were parked there and actually giving people free fuel so we would have been okay but it was crazy getting out of there anyway man Holy, yeah, that's that's super wild. Like you say, just the chaos of everybody buying out everything. And then, yeah, man, like, I remember, I think you were sharing some stories and stuff of just, like, getting out of there. And now that you're talking yeah. about it, I think I can remember some of the stuff you're sharing around that time. And I didn't realize that Kevin was so stuck up there. And, like, it, oh, man, that's a scary scenario. So that would have been your daughter's first time going up to Elmer? Is that what you're yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. So, so it kind of cool she got to experience flying up there and driving home. Mm -hmm. um, when we went to leave the airport in the morning, she said to me, "Dad, I really want to get my picture taken by the Northwest that big Northwest Territories border sign." And I said, "Well, I don't think the plane's going to stop there for us to do that." <laughs> um, so then on the way home, she got to stop and get her picture taken there. So I mean, it was cool that way that she got to experience the drive and the flight, but definitely disheartening that we never even got into the lodge. Man, yeah, no doubt for sure. So you guys got plans because since then she hasn't been still then, hey? No, yeah. no. So next year we'll try and get her back up there again, I think. Yeah, in the summertime? Yeah, you betcha. Yeah. Holy cow, man. That's uh, upsetting to hear too just for obviously losing a couple of guide seasons up at Elmer and with Kevin there. And, yeah. It was a bit of a rough go on the, in the guiding world. <laughs> Thankfully yeah. I have, you know, always have another job to fall back on when things like that do happen. So wasn't scrambling financially to try and make a go of it for my family or anything like that. I do. I have a very good friend of mine that owns a trucking company. So Whenever I have a little bit of downtime, I can always go hop in a truck and haul some farm equipment and stuff around for him. So definitely thankful to have that this year. Yeah, man. Yeah, and I think, I don't know if when we were talking, I was telling you about this, because this would have been, I think, yeah, just shortly after 
we talked as well, but yeah, we my in-laws were evacuated this year. I think I can't even remember. I think we might have talked about that too. But yeah, I think you did tell me that. Yeah, because yeah, that was right. Would have been right before we talked then. But yeah, that's surreal, man. It's surreal when it's on your doorstep. It's a totally different thing, right? Then. Uh, it's crazy. You... It's a it's a huge fear of mine again this year because we have no <sighs> snow cover and it's gonna be so friggin' dry that. If we don't have a super wet spring or get a bunch of snow here soon, uh, I'm afraid that we're going to have a real bad wildfire season again. Yeah, man, that's what I'm worried about too because exactly like you said, like it's already <clears throat> so dry. I know some areas are finally starting to get a few good dumps, but, you know, like around the city here, man, like it's we're just about to hit minus 30 for the first time probably in an evening this coming week or so. Yeah. Um, like kind last year. Yeah, last year we had hit minus 30 like two or three times by now, like pre-Christmas holidays and stuff like that, right? Yeah, that first week in November last year (laughs) froze everything up and stayed that way. Yeah, so, oh man, yeah, well, we'll hope for the best and yeah, I don't know even what to think because yeah, the summers the last couple years have just been a little bit chaotic here with how dry it is, but yeah. Yeah, Yeah, it never fails. uh, We're just gearing up to go up on a big bison hunt and we <laughs> had gorgeous weather all winter and then the, the week <laughs> yeah. that we're gonna go live in a tent in the bush it's gonna be minus 30 while we're up there <laughs> yeah go figure hey god yeah <laughs> holy cow yeah i want to cycle back into that for sure i was just gonna ask you what did you do then after that kind of stuff to get prepped for all the you know waterfowl and big game and everything you got into during the season um what's it like around home um it was kind of nice actually i was home a lot more this summer than i planned on being on a normal year so um spent a lot of time with the family here and we didn't go on any extravagant trips or anything but we did a lot of a lot of yard work and a lot of just little day trips with the kids and planted a great big garden and you know, cleaned up, cleaned up the yard. Did a lot of projects that probably wouldn't have got done if I if I wouldn't have been home this much. So it was actually really good. Yeah, that sounds nice. It sounds like for like kind of making the best out of a, the situation and still a, a nice outcome to all the events given kind of thing. So yeah, no, it was nice to be nice to be home for the summer. Yeah, and then do do you go into just like getting all your decoys and spreads ready and everything just like packed up the last week or two before all opening season stuff or yeah pretty much and like the start of waterfowl season so the first couple months i i just guide for somebody else it's not my own stuff so um he does a lot of the prep work for that on his own obviously Mm -hmm. um and then yeah made the trek up to kind of northern alberta to start with him it was a big joke with everybody that if i if there was a fire in a goose spread this year it was my fault because the fires were chasing me everywhere (laughs) (laughs) and then the craziest thing we actually probably two or three weeks into season drove out into a field to start setting up and i think i put out maybe half a dozen decoys and all of a sudden i was like what is that smell? It smells like fire. 
turned yeah. around and looked and one of the clients had thrown out a friggin' cigarette butt when they got out of the vehicle and started a tiny little fire in the friggin' <laughs> field. So I had to run over and put that out. And then I was like, holy, I did just about burn down a goose spread. Now. <laughs> oh my God, dude. All of a sudden, not a joke. Wow. That's... Oh, man. Oh, that's scary. Yeah. Yeah, so just super, super dry. You guys got to be so friggin' careful. Oh, man. Isn't that a sobering reminder, even just for this year to come, you know? like Oh, oh yeah. It just makes... Every single trip to the field after that this year was another reminder to everybody, like, no smoking out in the fields and all that kind of stuff, right? Like, Yeah. Oh, man, no doubt. But, yeah, to kind of get into the season a little bit here and kind of recap in 2023, man, um, it's tough because so much stuff happens, and I'm trying to keep an eye out on everything going on, and there was, like, quite a few moments that you were sharing where I was like, okay, I need to keep tabs on what you're doing. So when we talk, I want to ask you, but <laughs> so I'm trying to keep tabs. Yeah. But uh, yeah, from kind of the earlier beginning of the open season, you had shared some uh, pictures, obviously of like your son and stuff like that out there. And then, you know, you got this sandhill crane. What was the story behind that? Yeah. So that was pretty neat. We, uh, I stayed around home for the first probably, week or week and a half that <coughs> sorry excuse me that our season had opened um so I got to do a little bit of early season stuff around home and usually we don't have any birds here by then but for some reason this year um I think maybe with the drought and some early harvest being done we had quite a few quite a few birds around home so we got out chasing a few early season um early season shoots down here and then uh, a buddy of mine found a field that had not a ton of cranes but maybe a hundred cranes going into it so we set up on a bit of a crane hunt there and it, I've never really hunted them too much and um most of the birds did not want nothing to do with what we had <laughs> with what we had going on for a setup but one flock got got close enough that we did end up shooting one so it was pretty pretty cool we've never shot a crane in our in our spread around home before so the kids thought that was pretty wild they had never never seen one or anything right and yeah we got got that thing spread out and i mean the wingspan on it was taller than both of the kids were and <laughs> got to explain to them show them the you know the long pointy beak on them and explain how dangerous they are with dogs in the field and stuff if there's a wounded bird that a lot of guys run goggles on their dogs because that's the first thing the birds try and do is hammer the eyes out of a dog and crazy yeah so i mean it wasn't a banger of a hunt by any means but it got to be a nice little (laughs) educational morning for the kids when we did get one bird yeah no it's super cool and yeah like you say from the picture man that thing is just huge for when she spread it all out and its neck and everything too right like oh man when you shoot one of them and they fall out of the sky when they're stone dead and hit the friggin' ground it's just like <laughs> you've got a big rolled up wet chunk of carpet that you threw out of the sky <laughs> that's funny 
Yeah, big cloud of dust when they hit the ground. <laughs> Dude, that's, that's so cool. You could hear probably a decent thud, too. Oh, yeah, for sure. And that's crazy. And another one I wanted to touch on, too, was this uh, double bander with a band from Alaska. Like, Yeah, so that was pretty neat, too. We actually had a had a down day between clients up there, so it was... That one was shot with a bunch of us just on a buddy hunt. So the guy that owns the outfit that I work for, and then there was three or four of us guides, and we all kind of set up on a, on a fence line and shot some snow geese. And <laughs> we had been talking about, you know, we always hassle each other about bands for the whole season and stuff. And um, one of the other guides was out gathering birds, and all of a sudden he was just like, vibrating and you know knew that it wasn't a joke this time that <laughs> had a had a bird with a tarsal band and double banded and one of them was a tarsal band so you know kind of a kind of a unicorn of a bird to to get and it was shot with a, on a buddy hunt with all of us guides there so it was pretty cool man that's super cool yeah definitely to have all the friends together and come across something that unique Oh, and it, you know, we weren't, wasn't one of those serious hunts where you're just, everything has to go perfect, right? We, we wanted to do something different. We were set up on a field that we would have never tried to hunt with clients, but we were like, you know, what the heck, it's either going to be awesome or it's not going to work. So, um, just tried it out and we were all laughing and having a great time and then ended up shooting that really cool bird while we were at it so it, it was a good afternoon anyway man no kidding that's like that's an unreal for sure so do you mind just kind of explaining quickly like that tarsal band and like that alaskan band what's so rare about it um just so a tarsal band itself in our flyway is super rare um for anybody that doesn't know what that is it's one of the plastic colored bands that they'll put on not not your normal um, metal band with the stamped letters in it. So it'll, this one was a red band with white letters in it. And then on the other leg, he had a normal metal band as well. And so, yeah, we ran the band info and he was shot, or sorry, he was banded up at Alaska. Um, has made quite a few... I can't remember. I'd have to look that one up again because we shot a couple banded birds, but I can't remember if that one, what the age on that one was. I think you labeled it as like eight years old. Yeah. I know we shot one that was seven or eight and then one that was like 17. So Holy man. Yeah. And like those snow geese, so they're going the furthest north of any bird's to their nesting ground like right up to the arctic circle almost some of them will reach and then when they migrate south a lot of those birds go like all the way down to the very southern states as well so they get a lot of friggin miles put on them when they start getting you know five six ten years old man that is so crazy to think i didn't even realize that with those snow geese that they were making that long of a trek and they're just popping into one of your blinds in alberta for a rest and <laughs> yeah yeah they definitely have the longest migration path man they do not try and overwinter here they <laughs> they 
they definitely head south as soon as the weather starts to get shitty at all. Yeah, and so you you just kind of catch them in that migratory path coming through, and then yeah, they go down and then make their way slowly back up into the springtime kind of thing. Yeah, and this year, I mean, we had such a gorgeous fall that we the snow geese hung around for. Well, I mean, I shot snow geese on the the last day of season, which is super rare, but. We got after the snows pretty good this year because they stayed. There was a huge, huge juvie hatch um, this spring, so we had tons of, tons of juvies that we shot this fall. Couple hunts we would shoot, you know, 150 or 200 birds on a single hunt, and maybe wow. two or three of them would be adult birds, and the rest were all juvies. So. Wow. <laughs> um, yeah, it was it was really good snow goose hunting this fall, and I mean this spring is going to be the same way when all them friggin' juvies are coming back through in the springtime. Man, that's too cool. Um, speaking of which, like that reminded me of also, you know, obviously having a little bit more opportunity with all those snow geese and stuff. But then you uh, took out the guys from Slayer Calls. Yeah, so that was pretty cool. Um, been pretty good friends with those guys now for a couple of years um they came up last spring to the edmonton sportsman show had a booth there so i sat in with them <coughs> quite a bit in their booth and then we made plans for them to come up on a buddy hunt this fall so uh took a few days off from guiding and they came up and joined me and had a friggin they they couldn't have hit it at a better time um our area here around home rarely gets actually covered over in birds, but the the four days that they were here, we had ducks like crazy and lots of honkers, and uh, we just had banger hunts with those guys. Obviously, I don't have anybody running around scouting for me, so I mean, we would hunt in the morning and then hop in a couple different vehicles and drive around in the afternoon and find another hunt for the next day and i mean we were fortunate enough that lots of times we'd do one scout and line up two or three hunts and then we could do a morning and an evening hunt both in the same day so it was pretty pretty good we got after the after the ducks really hard um had a couple banger hunts with straight green heads and it was pretty awesome man that's so nice <laughs> it's so nice for them especially like you say like making a trip up like that and then you know you want to make the most out of it as a buddy hunt because and obviously they're you know producing just remarkable calls for the perfect situation and then for you guys to kind of land into the perfect situation must have just been the coolest uh, yeah it was you know just fortunate for all of us right they they brought their own film guy up here they were doing all their filming for their you know early goose season content and lots of stuff like that for their socials for the entire year so it was nice that we were able to get lots of lots of awesome stuff um film those hunts for youtube as well each hunt has its own youtube video put together um the first two of them i think just the first two have been released now that you can check out on their uh youtube channel on the slayer calls youtube yes you betcha yeah that is so awesome and then actually the day that they left, the following day is when we got that October snowstorm that came in. Wow. So 
Yeah, the only thing that could have been more perfect is if their trip would have been extended one more day, then we would have got to shoot birds in the snow with them on film. Yeah, yeah, that would have been but... nice for a northern trip for sure. <laughs> yeah, it was the next day that me and my daughter and my dad went out and sat in that field and shot a stream oh. at limit of green heads in an hour. <laughs> That's crazy. I remember those photos too. Oh, it was so friggin' cold. It's probably like minus 10 or minus 12. And then we had a 30 kilometer an hour wind and snowing at the same time. And it was not nice being out in the field, but <laughs> the ducks were just coming in so dirty. And it was such, there was one broken bale out in the field and the ducks were like kind of coming in from behind it. And we tucked our layout blinds right tight up against that friggin' broken bale. And they were coming over our back shoulder and had no no clue that we were there. I had like maybe 40 decoys at the most set out and a couple spinners. And they were just like diving into it. <laughs> so easy to pick out, you know, just pick out those green heads. The lighting, you know, on a sunny day, sometimes it's hard or, you know, shitty lighting. It's hard to pick out green heads. But the weather was just perfect lighting and everything. You You could just... <laughs> a flock of 10 would come in you you'd just be like okay first four green heads shoot the first four let the rest of them go two seconds later there'd be another flock coming in pick the first three again it was just awesome man and that's like making the best out of just a crappy weather situation you know <laughs> yeah. yeah favorite some of my favorite bird hunts are in a snowstorm yeah oh man that's got to be the coolest thing for sure. Um, are you doing the Edmonton Boat and Sportsman Show again this year at all? Um, if I'm around, I'm planning on it. I think the Slayer guys are going to come back up to it again as well. So, oh, that's definitely cool. Definitely like to get up there. Yeah, I'll have to talk with them too and talk with you because I'm just like, I'll be there for sure, just kind of moseying around for at least the Saturday, Sunday. Um, so, yeah, it'd be nice to. You know, put a face to name and meet meet some more of you guys in person and stuff. Yeah. Like that, so. Oh, absolutely. What are, do you know? What the dates are on it? Oh man, I think I have it here in my calendar. Um, I think it's March seventeenth. Yeah, so March fourteenth to March seventeenth. So it's the fourteenth is a Thursday. Okay, so it'll so. be tight. I might still be doing winter muskox hunts. I know we got quite a bit of stuff booked for February and March, but. <clears throat> It all yeah. depends on weather too, right? Yeah, I think everybody listening and myself would rather be at a muskox hunt than <laughs> in a trade <laughs> show. So I know. It's tough because I would love to get to more trade shows. I I quite enjoy networking with everybody and, like you said, putting some faces to the names of the people that you talk to all year long. But we got so much friggin' stuff going on in the wintertime <laughs> now with guiding that I I would definitely rather be out there doing that than sitting in a trade show booth. So I don't think you're the only one for sure. <laughs> that speaks for everybody. Yeah, that's awesome, man. So uh, yeah, kind of moseying through the season. Stop me if uh, we're going too fast for the season. Like if you got another one, like how you're talking about the mallards or anything, definitely. Yeah, no problem. Um, but I was kind of jumping right into that November 1st uh, buck that you took. Yep. (laughs) All the meaning behind it, man. That seemed like just uh, between the people that were there, the day, the event, the location. 
Um, well, and it just is one of those days that the stars all align and, you know, we didn't do anything special, but everything just was supposed to be that way. Um, hadn't done a lot of hunting with um, those two pals of my grandpa's. Haven't done a lot of hunting with them in the last, you know, five, probably 10 years, I guess. And kind of reconnected with them on a regular basis after my grandpa had passed away and they were both able to make it up. So had both of them along. Um, Al, Al um, Tang, he was with my dad and then Albert was with me and Albert and I, we go back a long ways. Um, when I went to university in Calgary, I lived with him for a while and even before that, I was quite good friends with his son, who unfortunately passed away when he was 17 from cancer. So oh. um, me and Albert have a pretty tight bond ever since then. Um, so he was out riding around with me. And I, it was probably breakfast time. I think I had made a post on Facebook that I, I was not folding my whitetail tag on opening day this year. <laughs> like I did last year and then a couple hours later my dad called me and said they had just seen this good buck go into this little patch of bush and they were going to walk it and I said well wait like wait till we get up there so that we can help when there's just the two of you guys you'll never you'll never cover it and he's like oh too late I've already started and I said no like stop <laughs> we're not if this buck is a big buck we're not letting him get away stop where you are till we get up there so raced up there from where we were and uh got on point and told him to carry on and uh the buck and uh, I think there was four there's a smaller buck with him and then three does and they they were going to squirt out one end of the bush where Al was, and he didn't get a really good look at him, but took a couple shots at him on the edge of the edge of the bush line. And then he squirted out the north side, um, kind of where I thought he was originally going to go. He did end up squirting out there and into a little tiny patch of bush there. And I could have taken a shot, but it was probably 550 yards and, just too risky and not really ethical either. Um, and then had just the perfect friggin' wind. So I said to, I had Sawyer and my son, Tucker, and Albert all in the truck with me. And I said, I'm going after him, guys. I'm going to try and put a stock on that deer. And so I took off. And they were watching from, I don't know, a quarter mile away up on top of a hill. And so I took off after him kind of got the gap closed to about 300 yards and I spotted him standing just inside the trees but not where I could get a shot at him and so I just laid there on the side of the hill and it probably took 45 minutes before he took you know three steps where I could get a shot and then yeah walked into a little bit of an opening there and I ended up getting him so that was pretty cool because, you know, had Sawyer's my main hunting partner and she's with me all the time. Um, so she got to see me shoot that guy. And then Tucker had never been part of a deer harvest before. So he was pretty jacked to get over and see what dad had done. And 
you know, grab a hold of a set of antlers and and having Albert with me, there was a lot of emotion, a lot of emotion um, when we all got over to that deer. First one that I had shot since losing my grandfather and, you mm-hmm. know, everybody that was there, it was, that one had a lot of meaning behind it for sure. Oh man, like from when you shared the stories of, you know, Sawyer's first buck on the last podcast and uh, the meaning behind that and things as well with your grandfather there. And then when I saw that picture, man, it pretty much, I was like, I just kind of connected right back to when we spoke about that. And I seen all the kind of connections made in that day for you and your family. And I was like, man, what a, what an incredible moment. You know what I mean? Like you said, like that, that was just how that day was meant to be. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, he's not—he's not a monster buck by any means, but he's a—he's a damn good deer, and you know, one of those ones that's too good to turn down, right? He's probably a one sixty class, class yeah. buck, and um, yeah, kind of cool too. I have a good friend of mine that's just gonna go to school to take his taxidermy course, so um, that's where that. That's where that buck is currently at. He's going to be uh, one of the first projects here for my buddies to, <laughs> to practice on and get started. Man, how cool is that? That's awesome. Yeah, so That's... we'll get him get him mounted up and probably hang him in the hang him in the duck hunting lodge up north. Man, super super cool. Mm-hmm. Oh man, that just gives me goosebumps. That whole kind of story in the moment and everything. And even for your son to see it and everyone to be there it's just so like that's lifelong memory too you know like just so many made this year for you guys yeah well and i mean lots most of the deer that we end up getting out in this in this area there's so much farmland that you can pretty much drive up to them and throw them in the back of the truck and that guy just (laughs) happened to be where he was was across you know a kind of a an old wet slough bottom and stuff so there was no driving to him so we got to got to quarter him up right in the field and pack him all the way out too yeah yeah that's too nice man um even kind of going right from that year it was not too long after that yeah your daughter got her second buck it looked like yeah so a couple days later me and her <laughs> We, well, our plan was to go, you know, we were we had a good wind and we just the two of us were, were going to go walk into the wind and just, you know, slowly walk a hillside and pick our way through and see if we happen to see something in the bush. And we got a couple miles from home and she actually spotted the deer. She said, Dad, like three or four deer just ran into that little bush there. So we completely switched our plans around, um, snuck her we went around the other side of the bush and parked the truck and then walked down into uh, the pasture land where, where, where they had went into. And I said, do you feel comfortable sitting on your own? Because I've never, never left you on point by yourself or anything before. Um, and I wouldn't have even done it there other than I knew that, you know, we just had those deer go in there and there was, you know, real safe spot to put her and all of that kind of good stuff. So mm-hmm. she's been hunting for long enough that I'm very confident she can distinguish species and all of that good stuff, right? Like she's 
grown up with it, obviously, so I wasn't too worried. So I put her on point completely by herself, um, circled around the bush, and went to push them out to her. And I think I took five steps in the bush and <laughs> heard the gunshot. So I went ripping over there, and I said, did you get them? And she was just vibrating when I got out to the edge of the bush. She said, Dad, I let the little one go. He came first. I let him go. And then I shot the bigger one that was behind him. <laughs> Pretty jack. You know, we had, um, she said he went down and then he got up and went up into the trees and I couldn't get another shot, but he was limping really hard on his front end. And I don't think he went far. And she showed me where she had shot Adam and she had done a perfect job. Like she took me exactly to where she had hit him, took us two seconds to find blood, started tracking him. And we tracked, this was probably at four o'clock that this all went down, um, tracked him until dark, could not find him. Um, didn't hardly have much snow then enough in the bush to track him, but then he had, left the bush and went out across the open flat and th there was so much um long grass there and not much snow that we had trouble finding blood then it got dark on us um next morning she had to go back to school so she went to school and i went tracking this deer um searched all friggin day could not find nothing and then it was about three o'clock or three thirty in the afternoon that I was just sitting on a ridge glassing that whole coulee side, just hoping to see a bird or something that, you know, that would give him, a, give him away if he was laying down or if he had died or whatever. And I finally caught a little bit of movement on the one corner of my eye and zeroed in on it. And there was two friggin' coyotes on that deer. Um, he was still alive. He was up on his feet just spinning in circles and these coyotes were all over them wow. uh yeah thankfully she was just getting home on the school bus at the same time so ripped over there and grabbed her and then the two of us walked in and by then the deer was laying down i'm not sure if he would have been able to get up again or not but um finished him off and yeah then i actually shot one of the coyotes that was there too so that was kind of nice yeah nice man that's such a to see oh man nature can be so cruel like those those coyotes had eaten half that deer's hindquarters off of him while he was still still alive trying to fight him off oh. it was yeah horrid man yeah definitely like the the picture looked like it wasn't very much lost meat at all like if any but yeah that's a roller coaster man of of emotions from everything but so awesome to see you know like you say just everything done right after following up on it following up kind of the whole day and then catching that man that's so awesome to have caught that and seen that kind of happen and to be able to get back on it pick her up from school like perfect timing you know what i mean yeah like, well and i mean it took a full 24 hours of just non-stop searching for that thing and just you know hoping for hoping for that one bird to give it away or that you know that one piece of movement where he he took a step or something right yeah man that's nuts that's such a and but so awesome like so so awesome to you know, like you say put your daughter out on point for 
her first time pretty much alone and you know passing up on the one buck taking the next buck and then drawing you right to where it was shot like that's just so cool man you must be so like again i only have the one son that's like turning three right so it's like to see your kid develop all of those outdoor skills and abilities and like you know be passionate about it and then you know, I don't know. It's probably a very proud moment for yourself. I can only imagine, you know. Yeah, pretty dang proud. She's not, you know, she's not one of those girls that thinks she looks cute wearing camo. So she puts the camo <laughs> on and comes out for, for a few pictures. Like, <laughs> she's the real deal. She She's into it and yeah. wants, to, wants to learn everything about it. And she's, she's hardcore. Man. I get hassled every week from her. She's ready to just quit school and get homeschooled <laughs> and be a, be a hunting guide at the age of 14 is what she wants to yeah. do. So. <laughs> Getting homeschooled up at the lodge while you're muskox yes. hunting. And yeah. That's exactly what she wants. <laughs> oh man, I don't blame her. I'd probably want the same if I was a kid and yeah, that was my situation. I'd probably be saying the exact same thing to be honest. So. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty cool. Yeah, no doubt, man. That's awesome. That's way, way, way too cool. Um, I have a couple other questions for you, but they're kind of more out of season, out of story related. But uh, was there anything else in the season that really stood out for yourself that you wanted to bring up at all? No, that was kind of our big highlight. Um, me and her getting those deer right off the bat. And then, yeah. you know, November was such a warm, unseasonable month it was it was tough hunting um did did quite a bit of hunting still with my dad and my brother and stuff and the two of me and her shot the two best white tails that were taken out of our area here this year from our whole hunting party because it just we lost all of our snow and didn't get any more weather and the deer were feeding and chasing at nighttime and not during the day and it was just a it was a tough November of hunting, so we were pretty fortunate that both of us got those two damn good deer right off the right off the bat in the first few days of season. Yeah, man, no doubt. And it definitely, exactly like you say, unseasonably warm and may have thrown off the rut a bit or something, but things were a little bit all over. There's still activity and stuff, but yeah, it's definitely a strange yeah, year to definitely. Be. I don't, yeah. I'm not a believer that the weather would have thrown off the rut um those deer are gonna rut no matter what they yeah the weather doesn't change when the when the does cycle or anything like that but it definitely does change the movement and the time of day when they move and when you see them so mm-hmm. yeah and yeah just super weird that way to be like i think last year on my last sit on like here in 248 we can there's that 248 primitive hunt so you can sit with uh primitive weapon until december 7th so we get like oh, the extra okay. the extra week which is nice but it's only whitetail right it can be either a buck right. and two does or three does right so um and i remember last year i think my last sit was like near the that december 7th mark and it was like minus 26 outside and then <laughs> yeah. this year it was like minus two <laughs> so, yeah yeah totally yeah, different story wild. that way lots of days in november that we were you know hunting without a jacket on and yeah just crazy 
for sure, man. But it's just a heck of a year you guys had in just in that fall season for sure. Uh, it's super cool to catch up and talk about that. Um, one thing I did want to ask you, I know we were kind of talking about like you had some later season uh, shoots going on that I think we were talking about earlier. It might have been even August or September. And, you know, I still have to cut my teeth on the waterfowl and upland game bird stuff, you know. Yeah. And it's something that I'm getting more and more interested in every day. Every time I talk to yourself or someone else that's sharing some of these amazing bird stories. And uh, what was I going to say? This year, like obviously this year I didn't get out for it. But, and this is going to sound funny, but for the first time I finally ate some duck. Um, And I mean, that's pretty late in life to eat duck for the first time. (laughs) Yeah, what do you think of it? I loved it, man. I absolutely loved it to me. And I mean, I think this is what most people may relate it to, but the best thing I could say for someone that's 30 years old that never had it in his life. And that was, I think primarily one of the reasons that held me back from uh, duck hunting was that I was like, okay, like I really want to, you know, try it, try some recipes, have some ideas, you know, for, for eating um, yeah. before I go and shwack some birds. But uh, yeah, like obviously like quite fatty, but the fat was delicious. Like, I mean, we drained the fat out of the, out of the stove. It was actually a friend uh, that had us over for it, uh, that cooked it for us. Um, so it was really cool to see kind of their method of what they did. Um, yeah. And but was the best... like a, a fully roasted bird? Yeah. And okay. I guess probably the best thing I could as like a, yeah, total fresh taste perspective towards it was that it tasted like turkey and chicken. Like it had like almost that like dark meat of turkey, but the, I don't know, the chicken aspect to it. I don't know. It just, to me, you definitely got that bird element to it, but just the kind of dark meat in it tasted like chicken, but, or not, sorry, like kind of gave me that turkey vibe, but it was delicious. And once I had that, I was just like, okay, yeah, I'm dead set. Like, let's go. (laughs) Yeah. Well, if you enjoyed roast duck, there's so many different ways to cook it that are, in my opinion, taste way better than a roast bird like i i will not roast a bird oh really um, hey? yeah there's so many different ways like duck poppers and um stuff like that are so much better in my opinion anyway but well so what is your favorite like maybe give a rundown is that a couple of your quick rundown of some of your favorite ways to do it like poppers like i that. make Just... a ton of mine into jerky um, okay the, the kids love jerky and uh so i do a lot of it like that um, duck poppers, I really like as well. So is that like a jalapeno popper? Like what's this? Pop? Yeah. So yeah. cut jalapenos in half and then you can put, I, I put a little bit of like cream cheese in there and then I'll always, so I cut my breasts into strips and then marinate it for 24 hours. Um, the secret with duck and goose marinated in like Coke or Pepsi takes all the gamey taste right out of it and tenderizes mm-hmm. it and then if you can cook it in like a teriyaki sauce that that's the best way but i'll put little strips of that and then wrap it in bacon and then throw it on the smoker and yeah. they're super good that way yeah, that and then yeah delicious. lots of lots of times we'll just like i said just marinate it for 24 hours in coke or pepsi and then um, cut it into strips and then barbecue it get it in a teriyaki sauce and just barbecue it to medium rare. Super good that way too. 
Dang, man, that sounds delicious. <laughs> I'm like, it's early morning right now for those that don't know, and I'm like starting to salivate for breakfast now. <laughs> <Thinking about it. laughs> like, yeah. yeah. But uh, so when I kind of was going into, um, okay, like I'm down to get out there uh, like next year or like later this year, right? In the 2024 season. Um, yeah. I was already doing some shotgun shopping. Um, you know, I'm a big fan just for skeet shooting and stuff like that. I don't know why. I mean, maybe that's something that you understand as someone that shot a lot of shotgun, but I'm just a really big fan of, uh, a break action double barrel, but it's, you know, it's nice with the pumps to get an extra shot in there. Right. Um, yeah. So if you're well, going to get serious in the water fouling, you definitely, um, but you want to shoot a semi-auto. Yeah. Do you have any, maybe not like super entry level cheap? Because when I'm looking at some of the cheaper ones, it's like, yeah, they just kick like a donkey, um, which I mean, whatever, that's part of it. But is there anything that you'd recommend for something in that kind of mid price range? You know, with shotguns, you can spend as much as you want or as little as you want. Um, if you're not, if you're not going to sh- shoot a ton I shoot some Revolution Armory guns. Uh, they're they're super cheap to buy, and they they work really well. Um, I don't have one that I've put ten thousand rounds to to know what their sustainability is going to be, um, but they work really well. Like for the weekend waterfowler, I don't I don't think you, you could find a better gun than those new RX twos are that they're making. Um, I think they retail for like 800 bucks or something and they work. They're amazing. They're in it. Pardon me. They're an inertia driven semi-automatic and they just, they work great. And that's unreal. Yeah. I remember you were talking about the revolution armory stuff in the last shot too. And I'm like, man, I should have thought about that when I'm looking here. Cause there's just so many different. If you want to spend a little more money and buy something that you know is going to last you for forever. Um, those Franke affinities are are awesome guns. We run those for our guide guns, and I mean they get they don't get cleaned after every hunt, and you know we'll clean them, try and clean them after every group or every every week. But those guns see a ton of action, and they we don't have issues with them. They just keep working. If they're dirty, they still fire. Um, if we have one that doesn't fire 90% of the time, it's because the action was partway open, you know, open a smidge because somebody bumped the butt of it on the ground before they went to fire it or whatever. Like they're, mm-hmm. they're bulletproof guns. They just work awesome. And that's unreal. Yeah, definitely. So I just, I wrote those both down for myself to, <laughs> for yeah. my own. If purposes. I was, if I was going shopping right now and wanted to buy a gun that just, was going to work for forever for me. And I knew as a shooter, it would be a Franke. Franke. And that's just yeah. phonetically. I didn't even even heard of them. So F-R-O-N-K-Y? Uh, no, F-R-A-N-C-H-I. Ah. Cool. Very cool, man. Well, I appreciate that uh, insight for sure for someone that's... Yeah, no worries. Finally. I think the, the other half of that whole thing was... 
I finally got into a newer, bigger safe, and the danger of buying a newer, bigger rifle safe is you want to fill it. <laughs> so, <laughs> yes. yeah. so I'm kind of like, oh, there's a lot of space in here. I could probably get one of those. Yeah, yeah, yeah definitely. Funny. You don't have to spend $3,000 on a Beretta or a Benelli or something no. like that just to go shooting. That's for sure. Lots yeah. of good shotguns out there. Yeah. So uh, now coming up, like you were talking about earlier, about to go up north to Elmer again. So you're going up with Kevin uh, Bison hunting? So not with Kevin okay. and not quite to Elmer. Um, bison hunting for Kevin. Yeah. <laughs> um, Kevin's going to be down at the big trade show down in Dallas. Okay. So he's going down there for, I don't know, four or five days. So I'm going to run the bison camp for him. Um, nice. Yeah. Kind and... of excited about that. I got um, a young guy coming to help me. Uh, he did a little bit of a waterfowl scouting and stuff for me in the fall, and he's going to come and... Um, come with me for the entire bear season here too. So take him up there for a couple weeks. Um, we have two hunters coming in for the first trip. So we'll have the two of us and then two hunters in camp at the same time. So we'll be setting up two wall tents um, pretty deep in the bush nice. and living, living in a wall tent for probably well, me, me and Matthew will be up there from the 12th to the 22nd, probably, and then the hunters are in from the 14th to the 21st. So. Nice. And so were you leaving, like, today or something? I couldn't remember when we talked. I was like, uh, like... not leaving till Wednesday. Till Wednesday? Okay. <laughs> I just remember yeah. you were like, yeah, it's really close to when you're taking off when we're <laughs> arranging. <laughs> today is my only free day because tomorrow I'm getting a bunch of dental work done and the following oh. day my daughter's getting some dental work done and then Wednesday I'm <laughs> hitting the road. So Yeah. So that's scheduled tomorrow, hey? I was like, I yeah. wonder when that is. Well, best of luck with that as well because... Likewise, not a fan of yeah. the dental, the dental office, but no, get her over with, and it'll it yeah. heals up quick. It's yeah. <laughs> I just had that tooth ripped out in September. I think I think it was like September, mid September, and yeah, I was like, I should have probably taken painkillers, man, but I didn't. I just laid on my oh. couch after, like once all the freezing went away, and I was like, just watching. I was watching some stick bow elk hunting video, and just wondering if i was gonna <laughs> i don't know and i was like oh, man, why man. didn't i just take like a freaking tylenol or something <laughs> well, i got one that needs a root canal and that's what happened i've been ignoring it for so long that finally i i had no choice it was like boxing day i think it was <laughs> i was in so much freaking pain i couldn't eat couldn't do nothing i was just miserable with everybody and <laughs> all the families around and wants to talk and i and oh. <laughs> sitting there with my hand on my cheek miserable and don't want to talk to anybody so <laughs> finally <laughs> went finally went and get her dealt with here tomorrow but yeah definitely couldn't go up to bison camp like that i don't think they would have given me a five gallon pail of Tylenol threes to take with me to survive. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. Yeah. Holy cow. That's uh yeah, that's too cool. So you're up there and then you're doing spring bear camp again? 
Yeah, so this will be the start of, you know, busy season here again now. Um, Had two weeks off during Christmas, which was super nice. And then we got a ton of, I think we got three or four bison hunters, um, 10 winter musk ox hunters, and a bunch of Arctic wolf, wolverine. So we're going to be up in the north, great north, like, but, but basically from very north tip of Alberta we'll do a bunch of these bison hunts and then go right up to the lodge uh travel the ice road up and then sled into the lodge and do musk ox and arctic wolf and wolverine out of the lodge for the rest of the winter man yeah that's unreal and I remember when I was talking to Kevin there on the podcast episode we did man just when he was talking about like that sled trek and stuff like that's a doozy of a a rip up there on sleds like yeah i've never been i've never been into the lodge in the winter yet so this will be my first first go at that so i'm pretty excited yeah that's sweet man and then uh hopefully do some well we we will do some ice fishing up there try and pull some of them 40 town lake trout out of the ice (laughs) if we can find an auger big enough to (laughs) cut a 10 inch (laughs) cut a 10 inch hole in six feet of ice yeah, you guys will need to saw out some sight fishing spots. Like oh, some. man. <laughs> I don't, there's no sawing anything out there because they don't make a chainsaw with a long enough bar on it to cut through six feet of ice up there. Crazy. <laughs> yeah. Funny. Yeah, it'll be wild. Yeah. yeah, no kidding, man. Holy smokes. And then so, then some spring bear after that and then uh, kind of right back into the summer. Yeah, so it all depends what the weather does here. Might might even get a chance to squeeze in a week or two of spring snow goose hunting before cool. bear season. See when see when they decide. I don't think a lot of them are going to push as far south. So if, if we don't get crazy weather here, I think they might make an early <coughs> an early migration back through. And if they do that, I'll try and try and catch a few hunts with them anyway. And then if there's not a bunch more snow than we have right now, the friggin' bears are going to be out bright and early looking mm-hmm. for something to eat. So we'll have to get up there. Probably get up there mid, mid-April, third week in April, something like that, and start setting baits up and camp and get ready for that. Nice, man. Yeah, that's exciting. Yeah, this is the first year we're going to be going to do a little spring bear camp. And um, nice. yeah, we're just going with some guys that have, same thing, had quite a bit of experience doing it. And uh, we're just going to set up a little bit west, nothing too crazy. And we'll see, kind of same, yeah. same plan, kind of going in, in April here to set up and then do a couple weekends in May. Um, yeah right on a baiting area or just spot and yeah talk? no we're gonna do it over bait so we're just gonna okay. go and kind of set up baits and stuff in in april and then um and kind of build in some ground blinds and some stands and stuff like that and then yeah awesome yeah and this is just a spot that uh one of the guys has i don't know i think he's ran baits there for like 10 years or something like that so um yeah reassuring <laughs> to be yeah going with yeah, guys like cool. yeah guys like yourself if i can offer any any advice um hunt them suckers from the ground it's so awesome being on eye level with them do you you want to know what my honest plan is this year yeah (laughs) i don't know but yeah from the ground and we're going to be hopefully putting one like 15 feet away or so with a traditional bow 
Yeah, so that's cool. I'm good. Yeah, and I mean, I'm really trying to dial in all that trad stuff, the heavier arrow point and heavier bow poundage and stuff like that, just to have that little bit of reassurance in my own mind. Um, yeah. And have that confidence. Build a build a, like a deadfall blind between some trees. Don't mm-hmm. don't buy like a pop up blind and take it out there because they'll just destroy it. They'll just decimate <laughs> it. Yeah. Yeah. That sound, sounded like the plan was to build something of like a deadfall. Yeah. By, by the way, deadfall, buddy. Deadfall blinds are awesome. That was like the way Buddy was describing it. More like we'll build a blind out there. <laughs> so I kind of had yeah. that same like okay. We'll be building. We tried. We there. we took two. We went and bought two of those um, see-through um, pop-up blinds. Oh yeah, I remember. Yeah, took them up there and like they lasted a week. Really? One of them. One of them. A tree actually fell over and crushed. <laughs> <laughs> and the other one, we piled a bunch of spruce brows and shit on it and had it brushed in like you had no clue that it was there it looked so badass we had a giant bear going into that bait and the first the first group of hunters we we took in to sit on that bait to shoot that bear and we got in there and the blind was destroyed i don't know i don't know like if it's because we had it brushed in so well that he tried to climb up on top of it and then fell into it and went crazy in there because he was scared or what. But, like, the fiberglass poles were snapped. The blind was, like, shredded. Dude, that's <laughs> crazy. So, yeah, took, like, hunters in there to go sit in this blind that we told them how fucking awesome the blind was and everything. And then walked them <laughs> in there and it's just completely destroyed. <laughs> So like yeah, quickly build a little bit of a deadfall blind for them to sit into, and they ended up shooting the bear that night. They only sat there for like an hour and a half, and the bear came in and they got him. So it all worked out. But dude, that's too funny. Like, <laughs> it's nice they still got him. But yeah, you're like, yeah, check this place. So check this stand up. Uh, yeah. Turn around. Yeah. <laughs> so deadfall blinds, and then if you can like. If you build a little deadfall blind between trees and then can tie like a couple horizontal trees up above you and just put a piece of burlap over it so that it stops any sun from shining down on top of you sitting in the blind, that's the way to go, man. Very cool. I'll definitely uh, take that advice into into the field. That's awesome, man. And then from there, uh, yeah, so then your plan is in the summer to go back up to up north quite a bit yes. for the summer stuff yeah definitely hope to get up there again this year yeah bring bring Sawyer up and then yeah it's right back into the season again man 2024 is already like i don't know sounds like it's always mapped out for you how your year's gonna go with hunting i feel like it's already mapped out for myself it's like that's gonna be wild to check it off yeah man yeah like starting now i'm booked for the entire year dude that's so good to hear that's yeah it'll be yeah. It'll be pretty badass. Yeah, man. Well, I wish you yeah, the best for that north, that north country stuff in the winter is oh. super excited for that. Dude, it looks so epic in the winter. Don't get me wrong. It looks insane in the summer. Like, it's insane all around, all year round, like everything. But just, yeah. yeah. Man, it's just so crazy. Just adds that other element into it, right? Like, have, yeah. your, have your T's crossed and your I's dotted because 
your life is in your hands every day up there in the winter time. Oh, especially in the cold, like you say. Like yeah. shit goes wrong and it's minus sixty and everything is white. You're <laughs> you're in a bad spot if shit goes wrong and you yeah. aren't prepared for it. No, that's the truth, man. Oh, well, Alex, yeah, it's been a pleasure catching up with you. Um, yeah, I just wanted to make a note here to uh, to keep up with you and to keep up with Alex. You can always get check him out on uh, Instagram at ab underscore wingman and at antlerhill underscore outfitters and on Facebook under the same names. Um, yeah, man, I just really appreciate you taking the time again to come on and you know, everything throughout the months, just talking back and forth and just kind of the camaraderie over the, the year and stuff. It's been really, really nice. And it's been so awesome to touch base again and hear everything that's happened this, this year for you guys. It's always really, really cool to see what you get into. You're like getting into some epic lifelong memories, giving people epic lifelong memories and just really living your best life, man. It's so cool to see. Yeah. I really appreciate that. Um, uh, always enjoy being a guest on your your podcast. I think you got a really really good thing going on here. Um, headed in the right direction with it all, and um, yeah, just fellow outdoorsmen that are you know down to earth, doing it for the right reasons, um, mm-hmm. bringing new people into it, um, teaching them the right way, all of that kind of stuff is what I'm all about. So. Um, definitely appreciate you supporting that and everything you're doing on your end with the with the podcast from from Alberta. Yeah, I appreciate that a lot. That means a ton from you. So thank you. And good uh, luck with that bow you're making. I've been watching, been watching the journey there. But when the first one broke, that would have been the end of that for me. Oh, right. dude. <laughs> there'd have been a fire burning right in my friggin' kitchen and that would have been the end of it i tell you there there's a fire burning as i scraped this one away holy cow i was uh so this this one i have now is is shooting it's shooting pretty much 45 pound draw weight at 28 inches so with okay. a 29 inch draw i'm at it's a little bit heavier than that so um would be legal to hunt with but uh yeah i just it's funny because, man, I don't know. Yeah, that's such a kind of reoccurring topic with the traditional stuff. Like the amount of times, even just this last season that I watched things walk and I was like, why am I doing this? Like, why is this like, am I torturing myself? And then I don't, I don't know where the <laughs> fuel is, like just for that one moment to connect with something. And that's what I'm hoping like, okay, you know, if, if the cards play out right and the shot opportunities there with spring bear and like everything feels right. Right. And yeah, to take that shot, that's- like, that's the thing to do it with, man. Yeah, like I'm I'm looking for, you know, when is that kind of first big game animal going to happen with traditional archery equipment? And I'm not trying to rush it. I just, like yeah. you say, like you just want everything to kind of pan out like perfectly. Um, yeah. Yeah, and I'm thinking hopefully in that spring bear, in that baited situation can kind of make something ethical and good happen on a big yeah, animal man. with that kind of bow and yeah, we'll see how it goes. Um, but that's the thing. Well, make can, sure, make yeah. sure you keep in touch with me. If you guys, you know, aren't seeing bears or something, we can figure something out to get you up to camp if you need to or whatever there. Oh, I appreciate that a lot, Alex. Thank you. And yeah, we'll keep, yeah. Oh, we'll always keep in touch for sure. And, um, 
I'll definitely be you probably be the first one I message other than my wife if, if I take a bow <laughs> take a bear with a like if that's my first big game animal with a trad bow oh, I'll, I'll be losing yeah that hell but yeah that's the I'll thing with trad for you. oh yeah man thanks and I mean that's just traditionally you have to go in with the mindset of it's going to be failure all the time and then when you actually <laughs> yes. like building that bow like you got like everyone's like you're going to break your first one and then you know everyone goes in with the confidence that's like I've done a lot of carpentry like my wife and I have built our own tiny home we've done our own you know I'm in the trades my whole life you know like yeah I should be able to do it and then sure as shit break that first bow and it's like <laughs> Either you quit right there or that amount of anger just goes right into your next one, right? Like, it's just, screw that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, but yeah, man, yeah, it's a you journey. Gotta, you got to want it because I would quit there. Oh, sure. and <laughs> dude, I, when I missed, like, I missed that decent five by five buck this year. And that was at like 27 yards. And again, I was only really practicing out to 20. So I was like, you know took a shot that was a little outside of the comfort zone and it just went right under yeah. the belly, like just total clean mess. And I remember just throwing my bow on the ground being like, I want to quit right now. You know? <laughs> like, yeah. So, but it's a lot of guys, like a lot of friends and listeners and stuff like that, that are kind of also motivational. They're like, man, you can't just stop now. Like, you, you know, you invest so much time and energy just for these, this one moment to occur whenever it does. So <laughs> stuff like that yeah. also feels again. <laughs> Well, that was the extent of my bow hunting. I went and bought everything, like top of the line. Everything was just going to get into it, jump right in with both feet. And <laughs> the first time I went hunting, I had a real nice meal buck walk out at like maybe 25 yards. And yeah. I pulled back to draw on him and bumped my friggin' trigger release and launched my arrow up into the friggin sky and the buck <laughs> ran off and i was like this is the stupidest thing that i have ever tried to do in my life and i came home and i posted all of my shit on kijiji and sold it all the next day and i was like never again will i bow hunt that's too funny man <laughs> i got mad respect for the guys that do and are successful at it especially but it is not yeah. my jam <laughs> and i mean that's totally fair man and i mean to see all the success and everything you still accomplish in the outdoor like you still are you know, wildly getting out there all throughout the year. It's not like, I well, mean, that's the other thing, right? Like my archery yeah. season, I would have zero time. I'd have to quit waterfowl guiding in order to have an archery season, right? So, and that's just that most people do the archery stuff because they want the extended season, right? Like the extended bow season out of November, right? Yeah. But when you're already so all over doing that and guiding for this and so passionately doing that, like it's totally like, yeah, you know, it, it's a whole nother thing to, like you say, cut out some time for and try to make it happen that way like you say you got to really kind of want it to kind of close off every some time out of everything else that's going on in life right so yeah i can't i would never i could never give up time water fouling to go bow hunting <laughs> that's totally <laughs> that fair, just seems crazy to <laughs> that's funny but now i'm like you know you want to take something with the trad bow buy a shotgun and go right into you know taking some time out of the bow hunting season to try some waterfowl stuff. So I'm kind of doing the yeah, man. thing myself. So, Well, let me know if you get a shotgun lined up by this fall or whatever and want to get out, let's, let's oh. get out and knock some down together. Dude, I would love that. I'd absolutely love that. But, but yeah, man, good, man. Yeah. Thank you again. And you know, safe travels and everything going up there. I'll be watching everything you're doing in the winter here and keeping up and yeah. Chatting yeah. Back thank you. Forth. I appreciate it. Yeah, man. And, uh, 
yeah, it's just always exciting to see everything you get up to. And uh, yeah, I look forward to talking to you again soon, man, and hearing some more stories from the incredible year that you're about to have. So. You bet. Hopefully we're wrestling with a, with a bison next week. Yeah, that'd be unreal, man. And, <laughs> yeah, I just would love to have you on again after all that, and we could talk about the uh, the Northern Adventures. So. For sure. We'll just make a six-month calendar date. <laughs> Let's do it, yeah. <laughs> Every six months, yeah. We should, <laughs> man. I'm, I'd love to. So. Okay, Alex, well, yeah, you take care. You have a great rest of your weekend and your rest of your time here with the family, and uh, best of luck with everything this week prior to and getting out there, and yeah, we'll talk again soon, man. Perfect. Thanks again, Aaron. Oh, of course, man. You take care. You too. Bye. Bye.